Hold that. How are you? Not great, Bob. into the finals a less than ideal start for our cavaliers who have been shellacked twice by the warriors uh welcome to the nail in the coffin episode number 33 tom valentino travis yuley we are recording on monday night as the Cavs return to cleveland uh trying to sort things out before the series resumes wednesday um here in town um trev uh, dare i even ask how's it going uh i think pete campbell put it perfectly uh, not, not great. <laughs> um, they say a series doesn't start, uh, till the home team loses. Um, but if, if, if the first two games are any, any indication, that just seems like a mere formality at this point, but let's try to maintain some level of hope here. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's going to be work. I'm not going to lie. Um, thankfully though, we, uh, we have somebody helping us uh, carry the load tonight. We have another guest. My dad, actually, the chairman, Tom Sr., joins us. Uh, Pops, um, welcome to the uh, the nail in the coffin. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, enjoy listening to your cast and uh, honored to be asked uh, to join you guys. Definitely. So we wanted to bring you on because uh, you have a really cool story to share about Muhammad Ali, who passed away late on Friday night. Um we're going to get into that a little bit later, um, but first, uh, let's jump back into the finals. Um, Trev, I'm going to start with you. Just what in the hell do we make of these first two games? Um, the first game, I think, you and I, I think, felt opposite after the first game. I felt, when I went to bed, I was pissed off because it seemed like they let them get away. I mean, I, they lost by, what, 15 points, and but it didn't seem that, but they were they were in it halfway through the fourth. Um they held the Splash Brothers to, I mean, fairly pedestrian numbers, and and you think, hey, if 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 these are the guys that are going to beat us, you know, so be it. Uh, Sean Livingston and Leandro Morbosa, um, if if those are the guys are going to beat you, so be it. So you, you kind of have to live with that. And and I went to bed pissed off because they let it get away, but then I woke up and I said, if they can put that same sort of game plan together, they'll be fine. You texted me and said you felt the opposite. And you turned out to be way more accurate than I was. Um, the blind squirrel just, finds a nut, folks. Mark it down. Yeah. And, and yesterday, I mean, the Cavs, they came out fine, I thought. It was a fairly sloppy game overall. Um, but, yeah, they just ended up getting steamrolled. They just couldn't keep up. Um, I don't know I don't know what the issue is. You look at LeBron's, LeBron's stat line looks fine, minus the uh, seven or eight turnovers that he had. But, yeah. Uh, Kevin Love, who knows what his deal is now, he's uh, he's concussed. He got cleared to fly back, but who knows if he's going to be good to go on Wednesday. And it'll be the funniest storyline ever if he's not able to go on Wednesday and the Cavs win. Um, that'll be the uh, the story of the summer is what the hell do they do with Kevin Love. But as far as what happened in game two, you just have to hope that they have a short memory. Um, no one else will, but... It was ugly all around. Tough to watch. I have a lot of strong opinions on all this, as you might imagine. But, uh, Dad, I'm going to ask you. I, you know, last night uh, we were watching in separate places, um, and I called you at uh, at halftime in the game, and uh, I, I was not feeling particularly optimistic at that point. Um, what have you seen um, in, in these last couple games um, and where are you at right now with, with where the series is? Uh, you know, every time I've been watching this, you know, obviously longer than you guys, and I've got that Cleveland sports fan syndrome that's just waiting for when you get the sledgehammer in the head. And they were on such a magic carpet ride, but I knew, I knew what they were facing this time was something that they'd never seen before. But I, I felt good because you know, Golden State came within an eyelash of not even being in this final series. So, you know, I wanted to think with, you know, everybody's saying that they, how well they did last year and they only had, you know, they had a, a, a shell of what they have this year that, you know, we, we really have a legitimate chance. And I, I wanted to believe that. And I, I was actually one that wanted Golden State. 
because I wanted to make a tone for last year. And I just, I'm, I'm very disappointed. I can accept losing, but I can't accept that we can't even compete. And um, I, I don't know, um, you know, Tommy, you told me today that the, the line tomorrow is is, is pick them, and, and if that, that isn't somebody that's just absolutely begging you to bet Golden State, yeah, I don't know what is, but uh, just just shocked like everybody else. And, you know, we, we geared up for this all year. And, you know, in January, we knew it was going to be these two teams, or we thought it was going to, and uh, here we are, and, and, and we got a team that was crafted seemingly to be in this position, and they're just they're, – they're just – way underperforming. I mean, they're not even showing up. That was what was really most shocking about this to me. It was like right before the first game in the series tipped off, I tweeted out, I said, this is the rematch you've been waiting a year for. And I mean, when, when came up two games short in the finals last year, I think there was a consensus that it was a great effort by an undermanned team missing two key pieces. And a lot of those guys that were playing were banged up and, um, you know, there's nothing to really be ashamed about. And we came back this year and and we got a full squad. Everybody's healthy. Team's playing well. And it's like, you know, you're going up against a uh, an absolute mountain of an opponent winning 73 games this year. But if you are going to have to to play somebody like that in the finals, I felt like the Cavs had absolutely everything possible going for them that they could with as much momentum as they possibly could coming into the series. And it's just shocking to me how Golden State has managed to just take away every single aspect of what they do. And, I mean, it, it we can get into X's and O's and, and looking at numbers and things like that. And I've got a couple that I want to throw out here in the discussion as we go along, but... I mean, really, at the end of the day, it just – you can remember in, like, some of the earlier rounds of the playoffs, especially like that Atlanta series, the, the one that I kept going back to, how the Cavs just had their number. And it's like Atlanta's a good team and can perform well against just about anybody else in the Eastern Conference, but they play against the Cavs, and they're basically running into a buzzsaw that owns them. And it's like, you know, some days you're the bug and some days you're the windshield, and um, the Cavs are the bug in uh, in this series here against Golden State, and the worst part of it is just you watch their body language and and just watch the way they're they're carrying themselves out there. Just little mistakes, uh, missing uh, defensive assignments, getting confused on rotations. You know, they, I mean, there was like one play last night when LeBron had the ball on a breakaway and three defenders collapsed on him, so he flipped it out to Jr. out on the wing, and the ball just goes sailing through his hands. Uh, same thing happened to Kyrie down in the corner. Just unforced errors. It's just it, it's in their head at this point. Trev, let me let me get back to you here. You, know, you had mentioned Kevin Love, and he's obviously been a real target for um, a lot of criticism for what's gone wrong for the Cavs so far uh, through these first two games. But what do you make of Kyrie's performance? I think my ex- expectations of Kyrie were considerably higher than they were of Kevin Love. Um, we were, we kind of knew that Love's – I mean, he, he was really good when he was the number one. He put up really good numbers, and his teams didn't win a lot when he's in Minnesota. Um, and I don't think anyone ever really imagined him being this this really um, – I don't know, like a legit 1A, um, for lack of a better term. When he was brought in, the things that we always heard about him was, well, he's got a decent post game, but he'll be a really good rebounder, and he's a really good outlet passer. So a lot of what we we expected him to do was facilitate Kyrie and LeBron. And, and for the most part, he's done that part pretty well. Um, Kyrie, we really expected him since we lost him um, at, at, in the first game last year in the finals, we said, well, he's going to be excited to be back. He's, he can't wait to redeem himself. This is what he's been waiting for. He had to wait a whole nother year, go through all this rehab, blah, blah, blah. And then he comes out and he disappears. Um, and I mean, if you look at him, he's this guy who for the last three or four years has been pumped up to be, you know, sort of the next big thing. Um, and during the regular season, for the most part, he's lived up to that. And during the first couple rounds of the playoffs, he's definitely lived up to that. I mean, he was the leading scorer of the playoffs through, I think, two two or three rounds, almost maybe through up until the finals here. And he just 
for whatever reason is n- nowhere to be found. Um, so it's disappointing. I mean, you'd like to think that, you know, he'd, he'd grab the bull by the horns here a little bit, but he seems to be really passive and he's not, um, nowhere near what we expected and hoped for him to be. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely more disappointed by Kyrie than I am by Kevin Love. I'm shocked by uh, how out of sorts he seems in this series in particular, just because like you said, he was so great through the earlier rounds of the playoffs. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that we can really attribute that to is a really great defense from Golden State and just how well they've done in terms of taking away what the Cavs like to do. And a lot of what you saw from the Cavs in, in the earlier rounds of the playoffs when they were putting up those big numbers was a, through a lot of ball movement. And, you know, I, I, Brian Windhurst of ESPN, I think, was on uh, Rizzo this morning and just dropped a great stat. Through two games in this series, Kyrie, when he is shooting after catching a pass from a teammate, is 8 for 9. When he is trying to create a shot on his own, he is 4 for 27. So if you wow, feel Jesus. like, yeah, I know if you feel like wow. he's uh, struggling and, and really uh, gumming up the machine over dribbling and trying to force action on his own, the, the numbers absolutely support that. Um, Dad, the one bring, thing I'll say, go ahead, go the ahead. one thing I'll say real quick is the difference. I think that I noticed when Kevin loves personality seems sort of passive and we've heard all along that he's sort of, you know, sort of a loner for lack of a better term. He's not, real loud he's not real demonstrative he knows he's he knows he's a good basketball player but he kind of just goes about his business Kyrie's never been shy he's never been quiet he's been incredibly confident from the day that he uh first stepped into the league um in his ability maybe a little bit more so than he deserved to be but he's never lacked confidence and it seems like for whatever reason this Golden State team just crushes his confidence completely and it completely changes the way he plays the game Agreed. It's it's contagious too because it, I feel like that is an epidemic up and down the line. You just look at the Cavs' stats, um, just on shots from point blank range in the paint. It, it's down, I think, double digits from where they are versus any other team in the league. Dad, uh, you know, while we're on this subject here, let me ask you. We we always hear so much about Golden State in terms of what a great offense they are and and how well they move the ball and and just what a great scoring threat one-two punch they have with their two guards. What have you taken away from watching them play defense in the way that they've dismantled the Cavs' um, offensive firepower so far? Yeah, that that's that's pretty much it. it, it what it what I've seen and, and what I didn't realize, a couple things. Their defense, I mean – you know, your Trav, you were mentioning that, you know, Kyrie, they all look like they lack confidence. They're throwing the ball away. They're doing all these bad things that they didn't do. They have never had shots contested like this team is contesting their shots. Kevin Love can't get open for that jumper because when they fire the ball out to him on the wing, somebody's right in his grill. He can't get a shot off. Um, you know, this is the best defense by far. No, no Toronto, no Detroit, no Atlanta guarded them like this they've not seen a defense like this and they're not adjusting and you know when you talk about numbers in the first game the one that jumped out at me is is um the, the Cavaliers in that first game and I don't know what this number was last last night but 25 offensive possessions they did not have one pass that's you're not going to beat that you might beat the lower teams like that but you're not going to beat this team like that you're just not, and I think the other thing that people need to start coming to the realization of, and I, I really saw this last night, I'm starting to see LeBron make mistakes that younger LeBron didn't make. He's getting he's getting swatted inside. He's not able to physically dominate like he did. It happened to Jordan. It happens to all of them at a point, and I think that might be starting to happen here. Um to LeBron as we speak, he might be starting to, to be on that downward side a little bit. And in this series, he's getting, he's getting no help. Um, the last thing is <laughs> you guys said, if, you know, I, my guess is that Kevin Love won't play tomorrow night because of his concussion. And I would, I'm going to say that. What's that? I'm sorry. Wednesday, Wednesday. Right? My bad. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that if we manage to find out who we are and win this game without Kevin Love, 
I'll go so far as to say you might that might have been the last you'll ever see Kevin Love in a Cleveland uniform. Oh damn it! You're stealing my big uh, big questions. I was going to start dropping later. That uh, I, I was going to bring that up. I wanted to circle back on Kevin Love um, real quickly, though. We'll get back to him in a minute. But what you mentioned about LeBron being on the the downside, I'm not willing to go that far yet. Um, just because I don't think I've seen anybody else. I need to see more defenders do to him what Golden State and really specifically Andre Iguodala in particular has been able to do to him um, really this year and last year as well. I mean, Iguodala, don't forget, was the MVP of the finals last year. And uh, you could really make a case that defensively, I think he's done a lot of that again this year. He's a fantastic, for whatever reason, I mean, for years I can remember in the early 90s, the Cavs trying to find a Jordan stopper. And clearly we, we know that never really happened. Um, if there's anything like a LeBron stopper, I think Iguodala's got to carry that title. I mean, he's tremendous at finding ways to strip the ball when LeBron's going to the rim and just make him really uncomfortable. I don't have the stats in front of me, but... I would be um, not surprised at all if LeBron and really anybody else, Iguodala is being guarded by uh, their shots when they're contested by, by Iguodala are um, significantly down from where they're normally at. He, he has made more than anybody else, I think, a tremendous impact. And I think really in a lot of ways that's affected the Cavs offense because so much of what they do is having guys, whether it's LeBron or a Kyrie, uh, driving and kicking, and if you've got one guy that can handle that without needing to drop two or three other defenders, you know, one, two other defenders uh, down to help uh, on those drives to the rim, all of a sudden those guys can stay home. It takes away the shots on the perimeter and all those role players that the Cavs have been able to uh, watch thrive on on feeds from their stars who are going to the rim. Um, those are getting taken away and, and you just, those drive and kick opportunities, it's getting real difficult. And I think that's really throwing the Cavs entire offense out of whack. And it's, it's, um, it's just amazing to me because I really felt like coming into this, that trying to stop Golden State's offense was going to be the problem. And don't get me wrong. They're still, um, putting up points, but I think so much of that's come from bad Cavs possessions and them getting out in transition and getting easy baskets in the half court. I don't think the Cavs defense has been that bad. It's it's their offense that has just gotten absolutely smothered. Um, let can, me let me ask you guys. A question. Go ahead. Is it just me, or do they just seem very very confused on offense? Like they don't even know what they want to do. I think Golden State's offense makes a lot of defenses look that way. Um, no, no, uh, the Cavs on offense, like they don't, like they they get down and they don't have anything in mind. They're just waiting. Oh, for when they're on offense, yeah. I I I think it goes back to confidence. I think their confidence has been pulled like stripped yeah. from them. LeBron's still confident, but you even see there were times yesterday where LeBron just didn't look smooth, like handling the ball, like the most like. No. basic things that he's been doing his whole life and you know for as long as we can remember all we've known is this guy can do whatever he wants when he has the ball he's like fumbling around with it and his his dribbles aren't clean he had that one where uh it was a breakaway where he just didn't seem to be able to get a handle on the ball so he ended up getting fouled but he couldn't even get a shot up um like a lot of stuff that you never see from him before so i don't know if it's nerves from him even you'd like to think you know after this many trips to the finals and he's been on both sides of it, um, that, that he would be somewhat, uh, immune to the pressure. You're never fully immune to it, but you'd like to think that it wouldn't get to him, but it's hard to think that, I mean, you look at his stat line and you might think he played okay, but just watching him play, he doesn't seem like himself. I don't think. And I think that's contagious. I think it rolls down everyone. His stat line last night looks fine right up until the point when you get to the column with seven turnovers, and I think that really is a, a case of him starting to press a little bit because he knows this is the stage that they want to be on and he knows what they're up against. And I think he's kind of feeling that you could just sense a little bit. He's getting that realization of just what a what an enormous challenge this is and, and just where his teammates are at. And, and I think what you're saying is exactly right. I, I think it is a, a trickle-down effect. Um, but uh, let, let's, let, let's go back to Kevin Love. Um, that was a, a really good question in terms of 
do we see Kevin Love in a Cavs jersey for the last time? Trev, do you think that's the case? Uh, no. I mean, I think if he if he gets cleared, he'd definitely at least finish out <laughs> these finals. Um, I mean, if he's not cleared to play, potentially. Um, I, I, I have a hard time buying into it because I still – I'm stubborn um, from the day that LeBron came back. The one guy that I wanted them to go get to compliment them was Kevin Love um, because of what he's so good at, which is, like I said earlier, that rebounding outlet passing. And he is able to play that inside-out game. I still think skill-wise, he's the perfect third guy for this team. But if they go through it two times, LeBron's not getting any younger. How long can he wait for it to click? It's it's certainly possible. If I had to bet, I'd say that he's still back next year, no matter what. But the odds that I, that you'd have to give me are not nearly as generous as they were. Uh, I don't know, maybe a year ago. Here's my thinking on this. Um, I think it's highly unlikely that we see him on Wednesday night. And I'm no doctor, and I'm not going to pretend to be one, but. I mean, the fact is he was put into the concussion protocol, um, I believe today or, or last night coming out of that game. And uh, just if you're looking at how that process has played out and it, there's several steps that you need to clear before you get approved to go back into playing another game, I just the compressed timeline between now and the next game, I just don't know if he's going to have enough time to – get through all that to get cleared for the next game. Um, I, I think the stat that I saw was that uh, guys that get put into the protocol on average miss like eight and a half days or something like that. So uh, you would think maybe um, yeah, if you find it on the short side of that, maybe he's back for Friday. But uh, just based on precedent from what you've seen with other players in a similar situation, kind of makes you feel like it's going to be a long shot that we see him on Wednesday. And if it, um, so to that end, what, uh, where do you see, uh, I'm going to ask each of you, Trav, I'll start with you. Where do you see the lineup going um, for game three? If, if love can't go. That'll, that'll, that's sort of the question, I guess. People have been saying since this series kind of went, Oh, got away from them. Get, and I'm not sure how serious some of these people are, but people have been clamoring for Mozgov because they saw a big lineup from OKC work against Golden State, and they think that they could do the same thing. Um, I don't know if I agree with it. He did play really well last year in the finals too. So, But, I mean, he hasn't played meaningful basketball in like two months, it seems like. So I, I got to think it's probably going to be Channing Fry, um, who admittedly is played pretty solid defense I think um better than expected at least um and he's obviously been amazing uh shooting the ball so I gotta think he probably takes that spot um I honestly don't think they can afford to go super small like they did yesterday um they seemed committed to playing into Golden State's hand a little too much they tried to be Golden State a little more than they probably should have, and I think that is a big reason that it backfired on them. So if I had to bet money, I'd probably see Channing Fry gets the nod. Dad, do you have a guess on this? For the starter? Yeah, I would I would probably agree with Trav that they would – I don't – Mozgov's just too much inactivity. Um, you, you can't really go with him. Uh, you know, you're probably going to have to go with, with, with Channing Fry, and I mean it, it's a nice idea since you, you got him just for this series. Let's – see if he can play because his minutes have been I mean he's been almost non-existent yeah what the hell is with that that is that above there are so many things about this series that have frustrated me that I think is right near the top of the list because like I said earlier every move that you've made everything that has been done and all the prep has gone into this particular series and this particular opponent and one of those moves was trading Verjao away and in a in a second move at the deadline um, as part of that whole equation it was bringing bringing Channing Fry in and if you brought him in specifically to to and I think really even beyond that he's done way more than anybody could have expected um, based on what he had done this season up to that point in Orlando 
I mean, he's been a huge part of the success of this team down the stretch and into the playoffs. And you, if you brought him in to play a small role against Golden State, he comes out and plays much better than anybody could have ever expected. When you actually get to the Golden State series, how does he only have like 11 total minutes? Yeah, uh, you got to find more minutes. You I, have to. I just, I, I'm shocked. I, I Again, I, so much about this has been shocking to me, I guess, but... I'm just I I have no idea I I'm, I don't have any explanation for it. Uh, maybe this is the move that kind of forces Ty Lue's hand and, and forces him to get uh, Fry into the lineup. Uh, I, I my think... best guess is that ahead, he's Dad. been sitting. Yeah, my best guess is that he's been sort of waiting to get Fry in to just sort of. I don't know if maybe his legs aren't great or what. That's possible that he just can't, he doesn't want to run him too many minutes and he wants to sort of save him which sounds ridiculous considering the situation they're in, but saving him. And by the time he's ready to put him in, the game's already out of reach. Horses That's only, out of the barn. It's the only, yeah. It's the only guess I can put out there. Why he's not getting more run is that by the time uh, that, that Lou has sort of a point in the game that he wants to get him in by the time that point gets there, there's no point anymore. He's already, the game's already out of reach. Cause I mean, you look yesterday and that game was a runaway in the fourth already. So you're not going to give him, you know, those minutes is what's the point. Um, you might as well save him and, and trot Dante Jones out there. Um, that's my only guess. I honestly have no idea. It's frustrating to me as well. It confuses the shit out of me, but there's, there's I have to think there's something to it. There's two other things that stand out to me, Arvin, and, and, and I always I'm, I get, I'm listening to you guys and, and we've kind of touched all around it is I Going into this series, one of the things that gave me some optimism is I was really excited, and even everybody else talked about the depth, the depth. We That our bench was far superior to anybody's bench, including Golden State's. That has not proven to be the case. Their bench is clearly superior to ours. And the other thing that we have not talked about that I think is starting to uh, rear its ugly head is I think think and, and and not not to bash the guy because he's 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 done a lot with this team but but Ty Lu is really looking like a rookie coach here he's 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 not you know and, and again the 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 play isn't over yet so we got to let this series play out and see but they're running out of time to make adjustments i mean let's face it if they don't if they don't win wednesday night it's they're done yep there will not be many folks uh leaving the dance floor to check scores on Friday. <laughs> no. Well said. Um, I I was a big fan of Ty Lue up to this point, and I, I'm still a believer in him, but I will agree that some of what we have seen so far in the series has really made me scratch my head because it feels like in a lot of ways that um, Cavs have gotten away from what got them to this point. And I'm going to say that, yeah, absolutely, a lot of that was Golden State, but it feels like some of it was just some really head-scratching personnel decisions. If they do not bring Channing Fry into the starting lineup, assuming that Love is out on Wednesday night, I, I will tell you, here are a couple other ways that I could see them going with this. Um, I would not be surprised to see them bring Shumpert in and mm -hmm. play with uh basically three guards with Kyrie, Jr., and Shump, and then move LeBron up to the four. And Jefferson's Justin, played pretty well, too. I Richard be Jefferson would be another option. Richard Jefferson I mean, he would was be, probably the second-best player for him yesterday. Yeah, the other one that I wouldn't be totally shocked by would be um, uh, Delhi getting uh, moved into the backcourt, uh, even though he's not really played particularly well in these first couple of games. I'm just going That's back and I'm I'm thinking like what what possible moves could the Cavs be making here to try to get things jump started and I don't know if Delhi is an ideal solution but I'm just looking for some ways to get the ball out of Kyrie's hands to start these possessions and if you've got another uh, point guard in the backcourt that might be able to free up Kyrie to get run off some screens a little bit and get into more of those catch and shoot opportunities and get him set up a little bit that way. If that's where he's going to have a success and that's been the, the one scenario where he's actually uh, done okay so far. Um, maybe trying to find more opportunities for that. Uh, last question here on the Cavs for you guys, uh, dad, I'll start with you. If, yeah. if you are the Cavs and, and you want to try to figure out a way to get back into this series on Wednesday night, what kind of moves, what kind of adjustments are you looking for uh, to get this thing turned around? Well, I mean, it's got to start with the ball movement. 
And I mean, they've, they've got to just move the ball and, and they've all been playing basketball their whole life. I, I don't understand why, why that's a great mystery. And I, I think the, I think maybe even a bigger thing than that, you, you might need to bring a shrink in the locker room because these guys are playing like they forgot everything that got them to where they are right now. They're not the same team. And I just, I, I just think a lot of this is in their head. They, they got to forget who are, who they're playing and, and just go be who you are. And if you lose, you lose, but go and go down playing how you play. Trev, what do you, uh, I, what do you want to see? Um, I, this is going to sound really silly on offense. I kind of want to see more of the same because minus the missing, you look at their numbers, they missed 28, uh, 28 shots in the paint in the first, uh, first game. Yesterday, they missed 19 in the first half alone. I don't know what they ended up at. I honestly didn't. The last thing I wanted to do today was read more about this game. So um, I didn't look at a lot of the numbers. Um, I'll say this, and Tino, I talked to you about this often. I am probably the most passionate uh, anti-NBA referee guy you'll ever meet. Um, I think they've dictated this series a lot. Um not necessarily with bad officiating. There has been a little bit of that. Um, the elbow to Love's head, obviously the glaring one and a couple other ones we saw yesterday. But they've allowed a lot of really physical play by the basket. And they've, to their credit, they've been pretty consistent about it. They've allowed it on both sides. But that hurts the Cavs a lot more than it hurts Golden State. Um, because Golden State is so accustomed to jump shots and playing more of that perimeter style game they can obviously get to the basket but it's it's usually a means to the end for them while with lebron and Kyrie, that is really their bread and butter that's where they start that's what they need to be successful so personally as a guy who thinks the nba likes to see uh more games i expect the refs to call it a little more a little tighter of a game uh on wednesday and I'd like to just see LeBron and Kyrie attack the basket instead of giving up and getting so easily frustrated. I think the way that Iguodala has been defending LeBron has gotten in his head a little bit, which is kind of crazy to think about for a guy who is widely believed, I don't know, to be top three or five, three to five player of all time. And he believes that like he agrees with that, with that slot. Um, so to see a guy take his confidence away like that is a bit frustrating. But I think um, they need to just keep attacking the basket on defense. I honestly don't know what to fix because, like, uh, like Senior said a minute ago, they just look lost out there. Um, there's times where they're looking around and, and Golden State's getting a clear path to the basket and there's no one within five feet of them and these guys are looking at each other like, I thought you were supposed to have him. So there's a reason for that, Trav. Yeah, they move the ball a lot better than we do, and their, well, their offense the is designed around confusing Again, shit. I'm going to date myself here, but but old school basketball was this: guard your guy. What 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 these guys are doing, and and it's been the the only part that has been effective is they've somewhat neutralized Curry and Thompson because every time those guys get the ball, they flock two guys to them. Well, when you do that, they got a guy open, and they're not going to miss that. Just guard your man. You know, when 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 OKC played him, Westbrook guarded Curry. So figure out who you want to guard Curry and put him on there. That's your guy. Guard your guy. I don't know I that the Cavs it. have I anybody confident that they're confident enough in to, to handle those guys one-on-one. I will say that just given how many um, bumps and bruises Curry has taken throughout the playoffs, and I don't really feel like he's been forced to work hard in this series so far, I might be tempted to to dare him to like try to beat the Cavs all by himself, kind of do a reverse of uh, what you've seen so far. I mean, it, it, to this point, it's been take away those two guards at all costs and dare the rest of the team to beat you, and the rest of the team has. I, I mean, exactly. maybe there's something to be said of can two guys, the Splash Brothers over there, um, carry it all by themselves? I um. I don't know. I mean, I don't think either one of those scenarios is particularly ideal. Trav, just what you were saying about the officiating, um, I, I here's the thing with that. I, I do think that they're letting a lot of uh, contact and, and physical play 
uh, go, and I and that does benefit the Warriors. That said, you watch a lot of those replays when LeBron's getting stripped at the rim. There was one pretty egregious miss, uh, missed call when when Iguodala got hit, got LeBron on the wrist when he was going up to the rim in the first half yeah. last night. But beyond that, I think a lot of those strips are clean. And yeah, I, I, I don't agree. think I it's... agree, but I also think I, I think throughout the season, most of those get called as fouls. Um, yeah, they're, a lot of them. If you go back and you look at replay, they probably look clean. Um, but for the most part, guys get the benefit of the doubt there. Um, also, the two travels on LeBron yesterday. A, you never see traveling called in the NBA. So why they decided to pull it out at that spot. I'm not sure because I thought we saw a few earlier in the game from both sides that didn't get called that were a little more egregious. And the second one on replay wasn't even a travel. Um, so that's frustrating in and of itself that they decide now we're going to start calling these things. And not only are we going to start calling them, we're going to call this thing that isn't even that. Um, at that point, I, I think the tide had already turned and that wasn't a huge factor in the game. It was already uh, going the wrong direction at that point. But it's amazing how um, those things all se- seem to start going against you all at once once uh, the snowball starts rolling down the hill. Yep, yep, exactly. You know what, all you know what guys, back in, I mean, you guys were teenagers when the, the 96 Bulls, which are the closest thing to this Warriors team, everybody said the same thing. They never call anything on Michael Jordan. They never call fouls on the Bulls. It just, is it to a certain degree true? Maybe, but it just and especially when you're frustrated being the team that isn't quite there to be good enough, it just always seems like it probably seems worse to us than it actually is. But I don't know. To me, Golden State seems to be the NBA darling that could do no wrong, you know, and that's just I'm probably a bitter Cleveland fan, you know. Cavs got to play better, bottom line. I mean, the officials have not helped, but on their list of problems, it's way down the list. Yeah. So we'll you see. Can, yeah, you can't you can't pin a thirty point loss on the officials, and obviously that game got away from them late, and some of that is is garbage time, and it's not necessarily a hundred percent indicative of the game. But um, it's funny one of our uh, one of our mutual acquaintances last night was saying you can't blame the officials here, even if they called everything, the Cavs would still be down five, and at that point the Cavs were down twenty, and I said, well, so you're saying that the the refs have a 15 point impact on the game. Like, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty huge difference. I don't think it was even that extreme, but um, when you're losing and you're seeing the occasional bad call, it just, you're frustrated at your team. And then it's, it's salt on the wound. I think at that point, um, I'll admit I'm much more sensitive to that. I think than most people are. Um, I, I got to ask you guys both a question, if, if I may, and I, I want both your perspectives on this while we're still on Cavs. But um, it, can I jump in with this now? Sure. Okay. So, you know, I, I kind of look at LeBron in basketball as as Tiger Woods is the golf. You know, Tiger, he it was he he knew his place in history, and he chased Jack Nicklaus until his body fell apart, and. It's looking now like he's not going to get to where he wanted to get to. And, and I think in a lot of regards, I think LeBron is, is you know, very well. He's a historian. He, he, he knows who's viewed as the greatest player in the game. And I think, you know, he spent his career, you know, maybe not as, as outwardly as Tiger did, but, but, but chasing Michael Jordan. Now, with that said, this team has LeBron's DNA all over it. He, he, he you know, it's, he picked the coach. He got, they signed Kevin Love because it's what he wanted. It, it just feels to me like this is his handpicked situation and they couldn't have been in a better position to, to succeed. If this goes south, which as we're seeing is probably going to be the case, what does this do to LeBron's legacy? It's by far, I think, the biggest, the biggest stain. You can look at every season and have an excuse honestly the first one that the first finals he went to with the Cavs let look at that team I mean no one he had no business even getting to the finals it was miraculous that they got that far um then he lost to the Mavericks it was the first year with the heat and a new coach and a new system and blah 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 then they won two then they lost to the Spurs and the Spurs are an all-time great team so it's totally understandable and then last year there were injuries and blah 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 this year there's no excuse you have 
all of your talented guys there. You have the coach you wanted. Um, the roster, I mean, far and away, it's 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 a much better roster than he's than he had last year. Um, even if you don't count the injuries, um, Channing Fry, Richard Jefferson, those guys have been huge additions. You look at the guys that were getting minutes last year, like Sean Marion and Mike Miller. Um, there's no excuse. And like you said, it's got his fingerprints all over it. It's it, it true or not. And I, I'm not sure I fully buy into the fact that he signs off on every single thing. Um, but that's the perception. And for him, perception is reality. So it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a mark on him unless he does something miraculous to fix it. I'm going to take a completely different stance on this. Um, I think with the exception of the series that they that Miami had against um, Dallas in LeBron's first year down in in Miami with the Heat, um, that was the only finals he's been in where he's his team has been favored. And Trav, like you said, he has run into some real buzzsaws in the finals with some of these opponents he has faced. And I think the Cavs this year, if the series keeps going the way it's going to this point nationally the Cavs are going to catch a lot of crap and a little bit of it is fair. I don't think a lot of it is though, because truth be told had Oklahoma city finished the job on golden state in game six, when they were leading in the fourth quarter at home with a chance to eliminate the warriors and they failed to do it. And if had they gotten that done, the Cavs would be in a completely different position right now. I'm firmly convinced that this Cavs team could beat 28 teams in a playoff series this year. The problem for them is that there are 29 other teams in the league, and that 29th team is the one that's tearing them apart right now. And I I would go further in saying that if you look at all of the other teams that LeBron has had through the years, I think this one, top to bottom, despite what you're seeing in this series against a particularly bad matchup for them. I think this is the best team that he has had. And I think this team here would win um, a lot of title. They would win the title in a lot of other years. And it just for them, I mean, it's, it's more typical Cleveland luck or lack thereof than anything that the one time that they finally get all the pieces together and they've got everybody clicking and they've got everything going in the right direction at the right time that they happen to run into the greatest team in the history of the NBA. I mean, there's never been a team that's won 73 games before. And they're, they're, and you just look at some of the numbers that Golden State is putting up. I mean, it's unprecedented. And, and I think a lot of people want to put LeBron under a microscope and say uh, he's failing. I, I, if it were me, I, I'd be pissed off to, to have to be dealing with that kind of stuff because it's like on the one hand – he, he, it's, oh, you're, you're, you're choking and you're coming up short. And on the other hand, it's like, well, you're calling him the underdog because they're playing the greatest team in the history of the league right now. So I just, he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. I, I think he's going up against an impossible task here. And, and I think in any other year, this team would be good enough to win. And it's just timing sucks. And really more than anything else, I, I, I think Golden State, this season in this series is more about how great Golden State is and not the Cavs failing. And, and the other thing to keep in mind with them, I don't really know who would have seen Golden State getting to this point and being this good. I mean, they won, I think, 67 games last year when they won the title, and, and they were great. But, I mean, two years ago they were nothing like this, and they haven't had any real radical changes in personnel and, I mean, a lot of things, a lot of breaks have kind of gone their way and things that we've gotten into in the past year. Um, I mean, even little things like Steph Curry being so injured in the first few years of his career, not being able to get a max contract up to this point, and that freed up money for them to go get other guys. I mean, and then all of a sudden he gets healthy and becomes the, the two-time MVP. It's just there are so many pieces that fell into place that really had that were completely unforeseen by anybody else, and I think a, a, a lot of stuff had nothing to do with LeBron and it just ends up with this is where he's at now. Yeah, that's a good point, Tommy, because I think like a lot of people wanted to use the logic. If, if we could come that close last year with a crippled team and no bench, we really should be able to get over the hump 
this year. And what that analogy did not take into account and what we're seeing now is as hard as it is to believe that great team from last year at Golden State, they're a lot better than they were last year. They're yes, a lot they better. Yep. Yeah, they it's, made a huge leap. It's still sort of insane if you think about it that LeBron's going to be his. He, he's going in all likelihood. I'm going to keep some faith, but in all likelihood, he's going to be two and five in the finals. For a player yep. of his magnitude, that's kind of baffling. Like the fact that he's gotten there that many times. And like we said, you can look back at each one and sort of explain it away with, yeah, the potential uh, exception being that Mavericks one that he lost. Um, there's, a, there's a pretty legitimate reason why he lost each one, and it, it, and it, it still doesn't really take away from the fact that he's one of the all-time greats. But when you put him up against these guys like Jordan and Kobe, and those guys didn't lose five times in the finals. Yeah, it's – I mean – They I didn't play know. for Cleveland. I, I don't. I don't Fair, even want to. Valid point. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll leave this uh, on this note. Um, it ain't looking great. Hopefully, next week uh, we're looking at a two-two series, and we have better things to discuss. Yeah, that that's my hope. Is that um, the next time we do one of these, uh, the NBA season is still going on. The Cavs are going to have to win um, probably two games here between now and next week. Uh, in order to keep this thing going, but uh, so they'll play what? They'll play Wednesday and Friday, and then I'm guessing Monday. Monday would be five? game five. Okay, right. So that's where they're at. But uh, as we um, talk about LeBron's position among the all-time greats, um, let's uh, shift to uh, an, uh, one of the all-time greats, if not the greatest of all time, in uh, another sport. Uh, we lost Muhammad Ali late Friday night. Um, and this really was, uh, the original, uh, reason, um, I wanted to bring you dad onto the, uh, the podcast here tonight, um, was, uh, to talk about Ali. Uh, I woke up on Saturday morning, uh, read that news that, uh, that, that he had passed, uh, late Friday and, um, got on the phone and I decided to give you a call. I, I knew you were a big boxing fan, uh, growing up and, uh, certainly were an Ali fan. And I just kind of wanted to get your perspective and, kind of get some stories out of you and you somehow in all of the thousands of hours we've spent through my years growing up uh talking sports you dropped a story on me that i don't think i had ever heard from you before and i wanted you to share that uh on our podcast yeah i can't tell you everything tommy <laughs> apparently not <laughs> gotta save but, it. Gotta save it. but uh yeah. yeah you 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 uh well, was, you stung yeah. me with this one yeah I was a huge I was a huge boxing fan growing up and really Ali came into prominence was I was a little kid. I mean, he won the title. I think it was in like 1965. I was only seven years old, you know, and uh, and back then there was no MMA. It was boxing and uh, boxing was a lot more uh, a lot more popular. And, and, and believe you me, when when an Ali fight was on, everything stopped. He just he just commanded everybody's attention and, and back then it was probably more people hated him because he just he talked he was funny he and he and he bragged but boy he could back it up and it just you know all of you know the 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 the, the working man just they just they they turned it on because they wanted to see him get his brains beat in and it just wasn't going to happen so i i watched um i watched a lot of ali fights you know, all, all of his title fights. And, uh, you know, then they started close circuit when he got into the seventies and, uh, you know, he was just, um, he, he was, he was amazing. I mean, he was amazing. And I, I had all of his fights on back then it was VHS tapes and I had saved everything, you know, and I'd go back and watch him have people over and we watch him and, uh, he, he just, the guy was a, he was an icon. I mean, it, and it, because of what happened with the draft in Vietnam and, you know, and, and that didn't endear him to a lot of people, but it wasn't him dodging the draft. It was him exercising his constitutional right to, to just opt out of something he didn't believe in. And he meant it. He did mean it. And, and what a lot of people don't, older people understand this, but what a lot of other people, younger people don't understand is he, from a boxing prime perspective, he he took the they took the fillet out of his career. 
I mean, from the time he was 27 to 30, which would have been his absolute peak, he didn't fight for three years. And then he came back and, you know, he, he wasn't exactly what he was, but he was still good enough to win the title two more times. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, he was, uh, that's, that's who I grew up with. So I, I think um, the story, Tom, that you, that you didn't know, uh, and I'm, I'm surprised, and, you know, you were, boy, this, this might have been right about the time you were born or shortly thereafter, but as you remember, Tom, I bowled a lot. Mm-hmm. And this particular time, I was bowling in a tournament in Las Vegas. And we had a big, long, I'm going to say a four-hour layover in Chicago O'Hare Airport. So we get there and, you know, just killing time and you know, walking around, whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on a chair and I see this army come, this, this just sea of people. And it's, it's clear that somebody's in the middle of that mess, but... I, you couldn't see who it was because there's so many people around him. So I figured, well, you know, I got another three and a half hours to kill. Let me go follow this and see where it goes, you know. So I, I went down the concourse and stayed back. And uh, sure enough, they got down to the gate. And, and who emerges out of this crowd is Muhammad Ali. Now, I'm standing probably 30 or 40 feet from him going, I, I mean, and I'm going to ask you guys something when I get to the end of this, but I, I mean, I couldn't believe I'm looking at this guy because this guy was bigger than life. Okay. And it was, it, it was probably shortly after he retired, but before he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. So he was still fully had his faculties. Um, and I, you know, he went to sit at the gate and uh, he, he, as you would expect, he had, you know, a lot of people standing around him, guarding him because, you know, you're not going up to him. And uh, I just kind of waited because I, like I said, I had all kinds of time to kill. And, uh, you know, in time, people dispersed and, and then it got kind of quiet, actually. And uh, I just figured I couldn't get in trouble for asking. And you know me, Tom, I'm not shy. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> no. So I went over and I, I tapped one of the bodyguards and I said, hey, I said, I, you know, would you mind if I went over and said hi to the champ? He goes, no. He goes, go talk to me. He loves people. And I was, I, I couldn't believe he was going to let me go over there and talk to him. So I make my way over and I sat down right in the seat next to him. And he looks at me and I said, champ, I said, I'm, my name's Tom. And I just, you know, I want you to know it's, it's an honor to meet you. And I, I can't believe I'm sitting here next to you. And he, and he puts this hammer out that he called a hand. <laughs> and Tom, he shook my hand. And it would have been like me shaking your hand when you were five. And I was like, oh, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to get hit with one of those. And for those that aren't aware, real quick, uh, if, if you don't know Mr. Valentino, he's not a small guy by any means. Like this, <laughs> Thanks for this, that, Trav. <laughs> this, this analogy, it's not like me shaking someone's hand here. I'm a little fella. His, this isn't his, no, this his hands, just for context. He was a big man, but his hands were disproportionately big for his size. I mean, he was bigger than me, but his hands were even, even bigger. And, uh, you know, and I'm sitting there telling him, I just, you know, he, he was smiling and, and just friendly. And we, you know, we had maybe two or three minutes together, but the line that, that I'll never forget, you know, I, I, and I just said, you know, champ, I, I, I've got all your tapes. I watch them all the time. I, you, you were just special. And, and he just looked at me with that only he could do this. And he goes, I was pretty good, wasn't I? And I just, I, you know, I go, yeah, yeah, you were pretty good. <laughs> what do you say to that? And then, you know, I, a few more minutes and I don't remember everything we talked about and I walked away and I'm, I'll just never forget. I'm like, I just sat there and talked with Muhammad Ali. It was, it was almost like, you know, like you, like you met the Pope because think about this. Remember what happened Saturday with the coverage, and it's still going on today, and I don't know when they're going to have the funeral, but trust me, that'll be on TV. Think, guys, who in our society, forget athletes, just who in our society that when they pass away will get the kind of attention that this man has got? There aren't many. Think about it's it. It's kind of crazy. Some I heard someone say it today or yesterday. I can't remember, but um, they said if you gathered up all of the 
the biggest celebrities, sports stars, movie stars, celebrities, uh, politicians, dignitaries, all that stuff. If you gathered all the biggest names you've ever seen and put them in a room, they'd all be lining up to talk to Muhammad Ali. They would. And the way that, like, and I, I can't remember who it was that said it, but it just kind of like, and I'll admit, I'm not a huge boxing fan. I only know of Muhammad Ali because I had a sweet poster of uh, the knockout over Sonny Liston when I was in high school because it looked cool. Um, but it's a guy who you don't have to have seen him fight to know what, what an impact he had. He, he did. And, and I mean, a, a lot of it certainly he made his, his name in boxing, but, but over, you know, it, he, he was so much beyond that. But, but he, like from a boxing perspective, like Sonny Liston, when, when Muhammad Ali was coming up, he was 22 years old. Sonny Liston was the Mike Tyson of his time. He was a wrecking ball. I mean, there were people that was afraid Ali was going to get killed. I mean, physically, like permanently injured because Sonny Liston destroyed anything that ever got in his path. Muhammad Ali made him look like a middle of the road Golden Glove spider. He just tortured him, and 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 he came out of that fight. You know, and you'll if you see the types, he said, "Look at me, I'm pretty." He didn't get hit. He couldn't hit him. And this was this was a guy that was thought to be invincible, and then you know everybody knows the fights with Frazier. That that's those were really you know a part of his legacy. But the the biggest one, and and I remember this. This was later in his career in the in the seventies, and this is when he was well past his prime. He went to fight the other unbeatable guy, George Foreman. George Foreman killed everything that got in his way, and and uh, you know. It, you saw the, the 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 Howard Cosell and Ali. Howard Cosell pulled Muhammad Ali aside and told him, don't fight this man. He will permanently hurt you. You're past your prime. You have no business fighting a guy like this. And he, you know, he, he was, he's, he, you know what happened. He fought him. And uh, one of the things that I saw when they were doing the, the, the tribute on Saturday was, and, and this, I remember when this happened, you know, he let Foreman pound on him for seven rounds. And and this is a man that's probably one of the hardest hitters that ever boxed. And Foreman said, he goes, the one, he goes, I got him in the ribs. He goes, I got him good. I hit him as hard as I could. And he just dropped his gloves and he looked at me. And he says, is that all you got, George? <laughs> and Foreman kind of stepped back and he's like, yeah, that's it. That's what I got. You know, and he knew, he knew he was in trouble. But that's the the guy just had a will that was incredible. He in the first fight with Joe Frazier, he got his jaw broke in this I want to say the second round. He fought 14 rounds with a broken jaw. Think about that. He fought, yeah, I mean he lost the fight, but he fought 14 rounds with a broken jaw against the guy that's hitting him. He was he was um he was a you know a, a once in a lifetime person and and you know athlete, incredible. That's really the uh, the, the legacy I think is I, I, just once in a in a lifetime where you see somebody that is that socially outspoken and that great at what they do at their profession as an um, as an athlete, um, just the total. Uh, the the total package. You just really, uh, it just so unbelievable in so many ways. And you're talking about those those tributes on Saturday. You know, I I, I kind of uh, and Trev and I both I know have kind of um, have our our differences with some of what ESPN does. I will say that uh, their their coverage over the weekend, um, bringing in some of their heaviest hitters of their own lineup in at the at odd hours at like three or four in the morning. As soon as the news had kind of gotten out, um, they really did a tremendous job. And Sports Illustrated um, shared a lot of really interesting um, stuff from their past, and, and a lot of they had a lot of great coverage as well. And uh, just the outpouring um, all over the country um, from the media and and the public at large, it's um, it's all well well deserved. Uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, really a, a once in a lifetime uh, figure. Yeah, his. Um... Well, another thing I just I just thought of, you know, early before he had the draft issue. So in the first, call it six years of his career, it, it wasn't 
it wasn't if he was going to win. That wasn't what kept you waiting. It, it was, and I literally, I remember my, I would watch it with, with uh, my grandparents and, and my, and, and, and uh, grandpa, you know, Tommy, mm-hmm. it would be like, you know, he's fighting this guy. I'm going to knock him out in the eighth round. And, and we would just, and, and most of the time, that's the round the guy went to sleep. <laughs> so he was, and he, you know, he's, he's fighting the, the world's best heavyweights and he's not, not just beating them. He's telling them the round they're going to lose in. And he didn't get it all the time, but you know, many times he, you know, he would. That uh, takes a set of brass balls to be able to pull that off. There was nobody. And if you, you I mean, you've seen the, the interviews and the clips that there was nobody that had more confidence and, in who he was and what he can do than, than that man. And, and uh, he, he was one though, that he was a lot more loved and a lot more respected once his boxing career was behind him than while he was boxing, because, you know, he, um, you know, the, the big civil rights thing and the Malcolm X, I mean, he was, he was very controversial and there were, there were a lot of, there were a lot of white people that just when he was fighting did not like him. They, they would turn on his fights hoping he got his block knocked off, you know, and that wasn't going to happen. But um, I think, a lot of that changed when people they appreciated him more after he retired and they saw the things he did with uh you know you just read stories about him where he you know i guess somebody broke down in front of his house in a car and they didn't know whose house it was they knocked on the gate and the security came and they and they said well this is muhammad ali's house and he says oh you know my car broke down and next thing you know ali's inviting him in for dinner and getting their car i mean he just was really he loved people he really did love people, and you know, and, and he did a lot for the world too. He, he he was very active. Tremendous. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's going to be missed. And yeah, you know, one thing is kind of interesting, you know, that and I don't know how this is, but you know, in in football, and, and we just talked about basketball with Kevin Love and the concussion protocol. No concussions in boxing. <laughs> you know that I never heard a concussion protocol in boxing, but you know, I think the sporting <laughs> landscape is rapidly changing on that front. And um, well, it's it, who knows. We'll never know now just what kind of damage uh, might have been done through his fighting career. Because uh, you know, when you talk about him surviving through a fourteen-round fight with a broken jaw, uh, God only knows what kind of damage he was being inflicted along the way there. Well, that's, you know, that's widely believed as what, I mean, that, that's a big cause of probably what brought on is Parkinson's and uh, sad to see, you know, it was, it was sad to see. I mean, you see him, everybody's got that member in, um, what was it in Atlanta when he lit the torch? One of the all time great Olympic moments. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, great that he could do that. But when, when you see him up there and he's just struggling to do that, and this was a man that just had unbelievable control of his body. And, and you see what the blows and, and what the, the, the sport really did to him physically. It's, um, it's, it's why things are changing today, you know. No question. And, and that Olympic moment, it's hard to believe now. That was 20 years ago now. It's been 20 was it years. Was really? Yeah, it was the 96 Olympics in Atlanta. So um, it's really a, a credit to um, – his spirit that, uh, you know, he's, uh, was able to, um, you know, stay with us here for another 20 years, even when we could see his body was starting to betray him even, even back then. So, well, great, great stuff. Um, I, uh, I appreciate, uh, dad, I appreciate you joining us. Um, uh, Trav, any, uh, any last thoughts here as we wrap up? No, I appreciate it. Um, thanks senior for coming on. It was good to, those, I mean, those little, we'll hear everyone on TV talk about how great he was, but little anecdotes like that from, I mean, to him, you're a somebody to us, but to Muhammad Ali, you're a general nobody who just wanted to come talk to him. And he said, yeah, pull up a seat. Let's, let's chat. And I mean, those, I think those are almost as big as all the, you know, all the boxing accomplishments and stuff like that. So it's, it's good to hear those types of things. And 
also thanks for uh, sharing some Cavs insight with us as well. We always enjoy uh, no, another I'll, opinion. I'll tell you, you, you two guys, um, I've, I've listened to almost all of these, and and you do a great job. And I, you know, I I kind of informally told Tommy, you know, if the planets ever align and it makes sense to to bring me on, and I'm uh, I'm I'm really glad that you did. You guys do a great job, and uh, you know, when Tommy was growing up, he was going to be the next Chris Berman, and I guess this is this is the start to that. Well, Berman's <laughs> stepping down now, so that door's open. That's, that's What's true. he doing? He's, uh, he's retiring after this year. This is his last season. Really? Tom, yep. you got a shot. Uh, look out. Uh, I'm coming for you, Berman. <laughs> no, you guys do a great job, and it's uh, your, your, um, your, your casts are interesting. And uh, I, I'm in my car a lot, and I, I love listening to them, and I really appreciate the opportunity to join you guys. Well, yeah, thanks for uh, helping us make, uh, make one here tonight. This has been a lot of fun. Certainly. All right. Well, hey, listen, everybody, uh, thanks as always uh, for checking us out. You can always uh, catch all of our episodes on our website, thenailpodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Stitcher. And uh, you can go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. We will be back next week. Uh, Hopefully Hopefully the talking Cavs. Yeah, I was going to say hopefully we are uh, still having Cavs games to – to talk about uh we will see what happens but uh until then for travis yuli i am tom valentino this has been the nail in the coffin and we will talk to you again next week hi this is comedian and writer and let's be honest i do a lot of things this is dean archipotis the host of whiskey business the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.